Hi, my name is Gary Myers. And I am Joe Fontenot. And we're the hosts of the Answering the Call podcast. And this is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. Today, I talk with Steve Morgan. Now, Steve tells us about how a small ministry grew into a call to the International Mission Board. So, here is Steve. All right, Steve. So, you started out as a worship pastor, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how long did you do that, and what was that like? Yeah, so I started doing that after I became a believer uh, over 10 years ago, about 13 years ago. And it was nothing major. Um, it was a group of friends and I who all liked music, liked Jesus, and liked leading people in music. And so we would go to D-Nows and camps, and, you know, weddings. Well, it was just like me at a wedding or So, so now you are in route to be an IMD long-term employee, uh, going overseas, being a missionary, like right. what all the mission friends and little kids think about when they think of the missionary, right? right. So that's what you're going to be. Uh, are you going to be doing worship pastor, or what's your work over there going to be like? Do you have any idea yet? Yeah, yeah. We have a, a decent idea of what we're going to be doing, but of course, like all things, until you're actually doing it. Uh, it won't include anything with worship ministry because, like a lot of things with ministry, it changes. So, 13 years ago, 10 years ago, I was still doing music, but as a favorite, as a villain or something. Uh, but honestly, the last time I did worship was a year ago at I am being needed that we did worship leader. But my second couldn't make it because he was sick. And so he said, can anybody fill in? And I actually didn't raise my hand because I'm kind of a fly on the radar now for this kind of stuff. And I had attention to somebody else. Steve can do it. No one asked Steve. So I was like, right now I have to say yes. I can do it, and I was hoping I could kind of get out of it on a whim and say like, oh, well, I don't have a guitar, and there's no piano in this room, so we're, you know, it really won't work, but the second I said I don't have a guitar, the leader of the event said, does anybody have a guitar with them? <laughs> and of course, somebody raised their hand, and of so course. the next day I was leading worship. All right. But other than that, no, I there's no plans. Um, I'm not opposed to it. But there's a lot of steps I see um, beyond just my own desire to using music in an overseas context. The foremost being learning the language and learning the style and the genre and and how, I mean, there's so many things, so much pre-work that goes into leading worship that people don't see, I think. Um, You know, your, your pastor, when he prepares a sermon for the week, he can put in 10, 20, 30 hours into the sermon, and he has to do it every week. The music minister, or at least when I was leading worship, I didn't find myself having to put in 30 hours, but I did find myself having to put in way more time over a longer span of time. Like learning an instrument takes a long time to be Mm -hmm. proficient enough 
to lead worship, to sing, to play, to direct, to do it all at once. So you, so you feel like maybe this is like, uh, in addition to your ministry, this is a, a characteristic of your ministry. You'll be able to bring this into your ministry. Yeah, eventually that would be fine, and if needed, that would, that's fine again. I, I know that church plants are typically small and struggling to find staff members, especially in an overseas context, that can fit these sorts of things like music or, I, I don't know, whatever else might be the case. Um, but at, at the outset, I don't see it working that way. What do you think you'll be doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first things first, uh, language study. I mean, everything in an overseas context is learning the culture and the language. Um, My wife and I love to travel as is. In fact, we think God used that to help enlighten our hearts for missions and for being willing and able to move overseas. And when we travel, we don't just like to go and see touristy things. In fact, usually we set a number of days aside to just try to... um, go and see what everyday life is like in the city because everyday life in places is different i remember one time we were in london um and i I guess it's kind of a dark story but uh at the time there was a spree of suicides on the tube which is what they call like their train you know subway Mm -hmm. system and so uh when a suicide happens in london um, like everything shuts down, all the trains stop, and so we're at this. You know, it's it's not huge. It's not a huge train center, but it's not a small one either. It's you know medium sized, and there's just people everywhere because the tube is shut down. Nobody can go anywhere, and so we struck up a conversation with this businessman um, who just looks like he's tired and trying to go home. Like he just wants out of there. And it was just kind of like a salt, well, I don't know if salt of the earth is right. He was just a regular Joe. He just mm-hmm. wanted to come or go home. And so we just shot the breeze with him, asked him what was up, tried to have a gospel conversation with him. That went nowhere uh, as per, or as we've learned about British people. You know, religion at the outset of a relationship really isn't the way to present the gospel. But, you know, we, we, we took our shot. Uh, and missed, and it was fine. He wasn't offended, and it all worked out. Um, but it gave us a picture into what everyday life is like, and that's something we like, and that's something you've got to do when you move into a new context. And that that that's not unique to uh, foreign missions, I don't think. I, I think that's very, um, not, not just common, it's necessary for even home, and by home I mean in America, missions. I mean, I'm, I'm from the North Shore, uh, originally, North Shore of New uh, Orleans. Yeah, of New Orleans. And now I live in New Orleans, and I call New Orleans home, but when I first moved to New Orleans over 10 years ago, it was very different from the North Shore. And, I mean, for anybody who's listening who doesn't understand the context of North Shore in New Orleans, New Orleans is this urban center, this bustling place with a lot of culture and attitude. And the North Shore is kind of more rural uh, it, it's almost like it's almost like New Orleans is like an island in the middle of the South. Yeah, you know what I yeah. mean. Like it's it's not like anything else. Exactly. And the North Shore is like everything else in a lot of ways. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's very normal. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean I mean I remember growing up, um, we even recognized the distinction, and we would joke and say stuff like everything south of I ten is Louisiana, and everything north of I ten is Arkansas or Mississippi or something. <laughs> right. So we even saw it then, but moving to New Orleans, the distinction between North Shore and South Shore becomes even more clear. 
Um, and what happened, though, when I started to try to do ministry in New Orleans was I had to come and learn the culture. And while there's not language, I, I didn't have to go to a year of language school just to be able to speak in the same terms, I had to assimilate to the culture here, learn what was going on. I remember one of my first Sundays here, I left church. At the time, I was still wearing uh, a nice, you know, uh, slacks and a coat, and and I was still in my worship pastor skinny jean headband phase, and so I was wearing like a three-piece suit. So was, so it was all of this, yeah, the headband, right. the jacket? Not at the time, but I mean, like, oh, okay, that was a style. Right. I was just trying, was, trying to get the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was still a hipster worship pastor all right, phase. All right, I, good. I mean, maybe we're still there. I don't know. I don't pay attention to that anymore. Right. But at the time, I was very much in that. Right. So it was like 2006. I'm wearing my three-piece suit on a Sunday. I'm looking, I'm looking pretty good, right? <laughs> I'm sure. Looking pretty good. I'm visualizing it. Right, right. It's tan. Uh, I'm in Winn-Dixie shopping. <laughs> And this sweet old lady walks by and says, "Ooh, baby, you looking good today." <laughs> <laughs> and this is this is kind of a unique thing. A lot of times, yeah, yeah. Orleans, I, I mean, I've never had a single interaction like that on the North Shore. Thirty minutes from here, all right. We're not talking like hours apart, culture-wise. I mean, I could, <laughs> I could sooner get to my old neighborhood from where I live now than some parts of New Orleans. It takes long to drive, right? But that just kind of communicates the culture is just different here yeah. than it than it is there. And so moving to a foreign uh, a foreign country where you have to learn language and culture, it's not even different. It's just like you, you're just tacking on the language mm. on top of learning the culture. Of course, and I don't want I don't want to sell this short or pretend like moving overseas isn't culture shocker a big deal obviously there are major cultural differences as well and that new orleans is much closer culturally to the north shore than say new orleans is to italy or i don't know england uk or or even something in the east like china or india and so and so for background you grew up in louisiana in the baton rouge area right moved to new orleans about 10 or 12 years ago to come to the seminary right new orleans seminary right okay um, graduated a few times, yeah. and uh, and now where are you going? Can you say? Yeah, yeah. So the official termination, or excuse me, the official terminology, not termination. It's official terminology for what's going on. Uh, we're at the I guess phase two. I don't know what you call it in the IMB where we are recommended for appointment, and so what, what that means is in. October will go to, or in September, we'll go to a meeting where they, the trustees will vote on us uh, and whether we'll officially be IMB missionaries or not. Um, but we've been recommended for appointment. And I, I mean, I, I think we'll be appointed, though, uh, you know. Sure. So, okay. So you're in London. Yeah. And you've been to other places as well. Yeah. And so how do, how do you know, did you always know that you were going to be like a missionary overseas? No. no. How did this come about? Was yeah. this before you started traveling? Was this after you started traveling? Uh, well, when did you kind of feel, when did you kind of feel the tug that maybe this was an idea that God was leading you in this direction? Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, that wasn't something until more recent, uh, and by recent I don't mean like in a, a a month ago. I mean a few years ago. Ten years ago in 2007, I uh, took my very first flight ever. I never even I was I was 20, 
20 years old. Like even national, ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I'd never been on a plane. I How mean, was my, it? My family was kind of poor growing up. So like we, sure, we, you know, right. A, a pl- flying on a plane to me was like a luxury that Donald yeah. Trump did. Right. You know, that presidents did, regular people did. Now I think, oh, what a joke. We were just poor. I didn't know it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was an international flight to Turkey. So, I mean, my first... A serious flight, business. Yeah, it was serious. And there was turbulence. And, <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't ready for the food or the culture. But uh, to bring up the worship pastor theme again, I was contacted by an old friend who said they needed a worship leader for a trip to Turkey. I said, all right, let's go. Um, when are we leaving? And he said, in a couple of weeks. I said, okay. <laughs> I don't even have a passport. <laughs> So I had to go through all of those hoops, and then next thing I know, I'm in Turkey and on this fantastic mission trip. And I, I guess God kind of used that to show me just how uh, lost the world was. I remember being in Ankara, and we were in a room with a number of um, missionaries. doing a re- We were doing a refreshment trip. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a trip that was angled at like hitting the streets and sharing the gospel with everybody we saw. Rather, what we did was just showed up and sang worship songs in English, preached in English, and just tried to encourage the missionaries that were there. Mm. But in speaking to those missionaries, they told us that like every missionary in this room was like more than half of the Christians that they knew in the area. Mm. It's like, here we are in this city, I think it's like four or five million people. There's maybe 16 Christians in the room, and they're saying that represents more than half of the Christians that they know. So when you when you met these missionaries, you got to spend some time with them. Yeah. Um, where had you ever really kind of met missionaries? I guess maybe not in their context, but mm. is this like the first thing for you? Yeah. Did this you... is this is the I guess the first pinprick was just recognizing the lostness. But I I had never again at the time I wasn't thinking I'm going to be a missionary. I just thought oh we got to be more serious about the gospel. Yeah. And um, living overseas sounds like something that I could do. Yeah. But like never thought, oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah. What led me there um, was actually my PhD journey. It was it was academics. I've been intentional through my career to try to mesh academics and practice and seeing where theology and practical ministry intertwine and meet and I mean, if people ask me to define myself or like what I am or what I do, I don't choose teacher or pastor or even missionary at this point. I choose aspiring theologian Mm. because that's what I'm passionate about. But to me, to be a theologian is to be evangelistic, Mm. is to be amongst people Mm. in a community. You, Mm. You can't be a good theologian without those things. And to use a broken quote from Karl Barth, um, he, he said, you need to wake up every morning with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Mm. And I kind of think the same thing. You can't be a theologian unless you're invested in the Word and invested in people's lives. Mm. Like, that is that is where theology meets. If you just sit in your ivory tower doing theology all day long, what you're going to discover is your theology's broken mm. because it's a theology that's absent of caring for people. So, so did you have to kind of come to this place personally and decide that, you know, I can't just delve into this? Or did... Or did you kind of come to this sort of vocation of IMB, you know, for lack of a better word, a different way? Like, how did you decide, okay, IMB is the direction for me? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the way we figured out IMB was for us, I guess all of this is just a giant picture of context and a long narrative. 
winding narrative. Uh, but it started whenever I was pursuing PhD work for uh, theology. I was looking at schools overseas. And right as I was looking at schools overseas, the refugee crisis occurred in Europe, where mm. all of these refugees, and we call them, here in the States, we call them Syrian refugees, but that's not really accurate. I mean, there, there's so many different people groups represented in the refugees, and there's there's wartime refugees, and there's economic refugees, and so there's all these people leaving their home country, and we paint it as this picture of, oh, they're in, it's these Muslim invaders, but that's mm. not really it especially when you read the stories and see the faces you discover. Totally. I mean, I, I saw the news this morning, 600 people are stuck on a boat, 100 of which are just kids. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Because they can't get into the countries. Right, right, right. Some countries in Europe. Right. Amy and I are reading this book, or she finished it, and I'm you know in the middle because she always reads way faster and more than me. But yeah, whatever. the same problems. Yeah, yeah neither here nor there. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> in the middle of this book um, about this doctor on this small island in Italy, which is like the first stop for people coming from Africa. And it's like every story is the same. Um, lady gets, has her husband killed by uh, militants, uh, needs to put food on her plate for her children, so she flees. Yeah. Runs out of money by the time it comes to get on the boat. So she takes her 13-year-old, her 12-year-old, her 11-year-old son, gives them all the money and says, make it to Italy, make money, send it back. I'll take care of everybody else here. Man, that's not a militant. That's like yeah. a that's a broken situation with it's broken people. It's a scary people, world for right, them. Right, right, who need the gospel and help. Yeah. I mean, this is this isn't And so we begin to learn about the the refugee crisis as we're investigating PhD programs and we uh, actually reach out to the IMB um, because God's laid on our heart just a uh, passion for hurting mm-hmm. and broken people. We reach out to them and just say, hey, we're looking at moving to Germany, mm. to Bonn. Is there a way that we can partner with you guys while we're there mm. uh, and just just work together? Mm-hmm. Um, and they reach back and we're like, well, maybe kind of, we'll see, you know. And there, there really wasn't a good avenue at the time for us to have a clear partnership with the IMB. Uh, but we knew that God was directing us to to work overseas while we were doing PhD and th- this was just consistent with how we already felt here in New Orleans that theology and practice go hand in hand scripture so, in the newspaper together. so so let me see if i understand yep. so god is kind of moving you down this path of PhD you're exploring schools kind of in Europe and places uh, in this area but you have this strong passion to kind of do ministry at the same time right and so so it's so it's not really, it sounds like it's not really this lightning bolt, like, go be a ministry. Right. I mean, go be a missionary, Steve. Right. It's more like it's just developing. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's that's really how it started, uh, was all of that. There was no Paul on the Damascus Road moment. There was no Luther riding his donkey and, uh, and getting caught in a thunderstorm. There was no magic moment where the burning bush showed up and I saw God speaking or heard God speaking or saw him moving or, or, or whatever. No. So how do you know then? How do we know? Well, that's a great question. First, uh, biblically, scripturally, this goes back to the whole theologian and being involved in people's lives thing. I mean, I think from scripture we see you've got to be involved in people's lives. That is the gospel. And it's not just lives of non-believers. It's lives of believers as well. I mean, I think the gospel or evangelizing, or to use a, a 
more uh, like a rougher uh, Greek translation into English, like gospelizing people. Mm-hmm. To gospelize somebody is not just something that's for lost people, that's for safe people too. And when it comes to gospelizing, to me all it means is I take everyone around me and urge them closer to God through Jesus. And so when you have somebody who's saved, you say, you know what, I I want to push you with all my life closer to Jesus. And when you have somebody who's lost, you say, I want to push you with every fiber of my being closer to Jesus. And that's kind of like the Christian life summed up in my mind biblically thinking and so when i apply it to like oh i have phd dreams well everything has to go through this strainer of is it going to push somebody closer to god through his son and so yes i mean i i I wanted to do this through my phd the refugee crisis was happening it seemed like a perfect storm but then on top of just general principles from scripture amy and i spent a lot of time in prayer in seeking God, and uh, in, in talking with, with our mentors, our parents, everything. In fact, when I first told Amy, hey, I think what we should do is actually switch to being missionaries and then just find time elsewhere to do Ph.D. work, we were going to go and be short-term missionaries for two years mm-hmm. and then do Ph.D. work, and we're going to have to raise our own funds, and we're going through this program with the IMB. I think it was called GC2. I don't know if it has that name anymore or not. There was a lot of fluidity there because Platt had just come on board and a lot of things oh, yeah. were shifting around. Sure. Um, but in that time, when we were in the GC2 program, uh, well, when I first told Amy, excuse me, about GC2, she actually broke down in tears and started weeping because she had so many dreams here that were counter. She didn't to want it. to do that. She didn't want to do it. No, no, no. Uh, she didn't want to move to Europe. She didn't want to go and do that. And it was kind of weird because, like, I'd been praying about this for weeks, and then I presented to her, and I'm excited, and she is. Whatever Not. the opposite of excited <laughs> is, that's what she is. And so she had to begin to pray about it and seek God, and we talked and prayed and talked and prayed and talked. And eventually, um, I, I, like, to give you the end of the story, today she's more passionate about moving to Italy than I am. Really? Yes. I mean, like... Why? I well, I I think God's gripped her heart. Um, I, I think like through reading stories of people over there, she sees the brokenness and the hurt, mm. and she sees the need. You know, she had that 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 emotional part pricked, and that has fueled the spiritual and mental that she now she feels it, she sees it, and spiritually she feels led into uh, moving overseas and. Like uh, we recently decided to adopt once we get there, mm. and like I started the paperwork and started to move forward with this, and like I'll, a kid, yeah, like a child, yeah. right, right, right. We found an agency that works with expats, and we actually have some no friends kidding. that we're gonna we're on the same team with in Italy. And how do you even find that before you even get over there? This seems right. like this <laughs> mental maze. I I would never I could never do this. Right, uh, it, it's all providence. We've been praying about adopting for a long, long time. I used to tell her before we were married that I wanted to adopt a kid from every continent, and she would say, ha, 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 what about Antarctica? And I would say, <laughs> well, penguins need <laughs> Jesus, too. Yeah. Uh, so you're not going to adopt a penguin, though? No, not probably. Well, I mean, I'm okay with that. I would I love it. It would but, be fine. But I, I, I don't see how a penguin would, would work well in Italy yeah. or America or, or really anywhere other right. than their home. Right. Just um, put that away for a while. That's right. So... 
but but yep. Amy but Amy is now very interested, very on board. Yes, yes, like passionate, this. even driving the ship in some way. That's right. That's right. For this IMB, yes, adventure, which which is no longer the two year, but it's now. It's like a 10-year or commitment, or how yeah, does that work? It's- I, I think the first contract was like three or four years. I forget. And some of my confusion is because we shifted from Germany to Italy, and there's okay. some different rules. So different rules. And it's not like internal IMB rules per se, but it's internal IMB rules based off of what the visa requires in each of those countries. As I understand it, I mean, I'm, I'm open to being wrong, but that's how I think it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we shifted from the two-year to the full-time uh, last March or April. We, again, were praying and uh, just felt this unrest. We're having some problems with GC2. We've been asking for our um, how much we money we needed to raise to support mm-hmm. ourselves and could never get the documentation. And we were supposed to leave that summer. So we were supposed to raise like tens of thousands of dollars so we could leave in the in summertime. Like three like, months. We had a lot of people committed to give us money, but we didn't go out and seek a lot of people to give us money because it's hard to raise money when you don't know how much you're raising. Yeah. You know? So we had been delaying raising the money, though we had a lot of people on the hook that were willing to help us and so wanted to support did us. You, okay, let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. It, during this time, you feel that international missions is the way for you. Yep. You're making serious plans, like yep. career plans, life plans, all this kind of stuff, and you're not really sure essentially of how to even go about that because you know you need to raise money but you right. can't really raise the money and so you know how much right and there's just this roadblock did you feel that maybe imb missionary life was not for you or how like how did you process this setback yeah or? Yeah, yeah amy and i were determined i mean once we became once we thought this was god's call on our life we were absolutely determined to make it there and we had some some sub plans i guess you'd call them you know like some alternate plans if this didn't work out for instance there was a school in germany that we were interested in going to um that had like 250 euro per semester tuition for a year-long program and as a student i could get student housing all this sounds pretty sweet yeah right it was a really good gig uh and so we had some other things in motion in case the imb didn't work out however just through our prayer and seeking the Lord, we we felt like uh, he was leading us maybe to something more than just the two years. And so... So it's almost like these, these setbacks kind of became a basis for prayers that kind of led you forward. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I'm actually in my quiet time reading the um, the Abraham narrative. Mm. and It's a good one. Yeah, right, right, right. And I think about like uh, Sarah convincing Abraham to uh, Father Ishmael with Hagar mm. and how, like, we have these backup plans that we just say, all right, God, we feel you leading or, or telling us or, or showing us something or promising us something, but then you don't follow through, so I'm going to go and make my own kid and whatever you want, what you know, right. you can make it happen if you want, but I've got my own plan and, and whatever. Uh, well, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> No second wife. No second wife. Good. All right. No Ishmael. Um, but God, God just led us to, or kept kept bringing us along. And and honestly, when we look back at the process, what we see is Him constantly moving us <clears throat> towards this career path. 
Interesting. Towards fully investing our life. In fact, you know, we started at PhD, and now we're moving from the country, Germany. We're leaving from going to serve in Germany, where, like, there's all these wonderful PhD programs, and it's like the home of theology and the Reformation, and there's all this, like, cool stuff in history, to Italy, which, I mean, has its own history of theology and all this stuff, but Italy's not really known for Protestant theology. <laughs> like, you don't wake kind up... Of, kind of known for... Catholicism. Yeah, right, yeah, right, right, right. Okay, okay, right. And and I mean, yeah, there's like cool PhD programs and stuff in Italy, but it's not really the same. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the same as Germany. And so we see this total shift in our whole plan from like just doing PhD work in the States and serving where we are to PhD work in Europe. Oh, PhD work and working with refugees. Oh, now we're just going to move to Italy and work with Italians and refugees <laughs> and whoever God puts in front of us, we're just going to connect our lives to them and share the gospel and so the, the shift is pretty pretty gradual like it doesn't happen overnight but when it, the ark is fully seen you see that oh god's been leading me the whole time thank god i didn't go with my backup plan and i just trusted god it takes a lot of commitment but when it finally comes together it's a really cool thing how do you know when you, and I, I know in one sense you can't know, but how did you prepare? How have you been preparing? How do you know that when you get to Italy and the work that you're going to be doing, how do you know you're going to like it? I mean, have you ever done it before? Like what's, like what's that process been like for you? Right, right. Well, one thing that was really important to Amy and I was that we would be able to use the spiritual gifts that we have. Which are? Uh, well, we both feel gifted in hospitality. We love hospitality. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can't think of a single person who's entered our home that we've not been able to help usher closer to God. And that's not a testament to us. That's a testament just to, to God and how he works. No, I totally see that because like, you know, this guy walked into our office and for everybody listening, Steve and I are in the same office and, uh, Towards the end, I'm like, here's my card. You can email me. And you're like, here's my phone number. You can call me when you get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's definitely this uh, there's difference. <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, we're just, I mean, I just love people. We love having people in our home. We love meeting people. Um, I mean, honestly, if I think to like, what are the seedbeds of m- wanting to be a missionary? It's not even something that's like for missions related. Like five years ago, my friend, James and I were praying about where can we find the most antagonistic group of uh, anti-Christians in the in the city. Like, who who are the people that hate Christianity the most, so that we can go and bring them the gospel? Who are they? And, by the way, did uh, you find them? Oh well, uh, I mean, you don't have to name them. I'm just thinking, like, do yeah. they have like a label, like? The atheist? Or yeah, it's the just atheist. antagonistic yeah, atheists is right? really what it is, like new atheists. Sounds about right. We basically right. just okay. tried to find okay. the area with the most new atheists in it, the the Richard Dawkinsites, the, mm. the Sam, um, oh, what's that guy? Sam Harris, sure. Daniel Dennett followers. And so we found this little uh, game shop um, where when we walked in, I think James was buying uh, like Settlers of Catan or something, and we walk in the shop and the shop owner has a cross necklace, and just we're just like, hey, man, are you a Christian? Just, I don't ever ask anybody that, okay? 
if you come up and say, hey, Steve, how are you doing? My first question is not going to be, hey, are you a Christian? <laughs> it's just kind of weird, kind sure, of a social sure. faux pas. But I don't know. We just had the spirits leading. And we asked him, and he goes, yeah, I'm a Christian. You guys, when we started having this theological conversation, it was fantastic. And into the conversation, he finds out that we're pastors and that we're looking to reach and people antagonistic to the gospel. Because he says to us, hey, I've been praying about somebody planting a church in my shop for a long time, and I no want kidding. somebody to... And we're like, all right, well, you know, I did, at the time, I didn't feel like I was equipped to be a church planter, so I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I will come and gladly just meet and connect my life to people and share the gospel uh, whenever able, uh, when prime time is happening, when people are meeting. And so... Uh, he said, yeah, like Fridays, Saturdays are the prime time for people to meet and people would come and they would play um, like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering and um, what's the other Warhammer, like all these tabletop games, card games, whatever. And it wasn't my crowd. Like uh, I, I, I didn't grow up like with hanging out with those kinds of people. But you know what? They were kind. They were just they were people like me and you. And we connected our lives to them. And, you know, we didn't walk out of there with some kind of Billy Graham crusade. We didn't have 20 people become Christians or 100 or 1,000. We we actually only led one person to Christ uh, in three years of ministry. But sometimes that's what it takes. But beyond that, we connected our lives to so many people. And a number of them, while they're not Christians, they're not antagonistic atheists or even atheists anymore. They believe in a God, maybe not the Christian guy. But just like the path to becoming a missionary, sometimes the path to salvation is that sort of path. And so just to see the shift in some people from antagonistic atheists all the way over to, okay, there is a God, and he he is a just God. He, you know, I'm not going to say he's Allah or Yahweh or the Christian God or even Jesus, but he at least exists and seeks justice. I mean, that's, that's a huge... Sure. Shift. And so with all of those guys, we invited almost all of them into our homes, out to meals. I mean, and that's just what hospitality is. And I know there's a lot of nuance to hospitality, like Rosaria Butterfield talks about, like, actually bringing people into your home to, like, live with you and to be a part of your family, in essence. That's a lot. That's really not the type of hospitality Amy and I practice. (laughs) Our hospitality revolves more around we bring them into our house regularly for a meal sure we take them out to eat we get coffee we just connect our lives and honestly if you close your eyes or drew it up on a piece of paper the relationship between uh, somebody you're discipling and somebody you're being hospitable to that's lost there really isn't much of a difference on paper between the way we do it we just connect our lives and you know what sometimes when we get together with these people we don't even talk about the gospel i know that's probably like scary Ooh, mm. don't do that but you know what? That's okay. Mm. Because even though we don't always talk about the gospel, we do talk about mm. the gospel. It comes up. They know where we stand. We know where they stand. Mm. It's part of the relationship. I think about this one girl that we're currently sharing Christ with. Uh, she's not a believer yet, but man, she's on the fence, standing on a razor's edge. Uh, when we first met her, we, we could just tell that she just she was kind, friendly, spiritual, but didn't want to talk about the gospel with mm. us. She was just, she's kind of like, anytime it was, it would come up, she was just at arm's length about it. And we decided, you know what, we're not going to push it. We'll just keep making our presence known. We'll keep loving her. And we'll, I mean, we, we love this girl. She is our friend. Mm. She could reject the gospel 
five minutes from now and I would still love her all the same. Hmm. But we just felt like the Spirit was compelling us not to cram the gospel down their throat, ironically. And we found out why later. It was because the first Christians that she had met had tried to cram the gospel down her throat, and she felt like they were trying to sell her Hmm. a product rather than save her soul. Hmm. And so we invited her to a Mardi Gras parade with us this year, which if you're not from New Orleans and listening, Mardi Gras is not a drunken slob fest, but usually usually a family event. Sure. So lots of believers go. It's lots okay. of clean places That's you can right. go for Mardi Gras. That's right. So we're we're sitting in the stands at Mardi Gras because we're, you know, spoiled at this point and like to have sure. the nice seats. Like to have some seats. Sure. And no out, judgment. out of nowhere it's it's the start of this thing, and out of nowhere, this girl asks us a question about the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Hmm. Now, she doesn't know she's asking that question, but she says, hey, the Christianity I'm familiar with from Brazil, she's Brazilian, is different than what you guys have shown me. Mm. Tell me about that. Well, three hours later, we're, we have not only presented the gospel, we've talked about the differences between justification <laughs> in the Catholic and Protestant camp. We've talked about what the atonement means. We've talked <laughs> about why you can be a sinner who only tells lies and be saved and also be a murderer and be saved. We've talked about all sorts of situations, all sorts of thoughts. We've talked about whether the devil exists or not. I mean, like, the theology floodgates overflowed, and the very next week she's like, hey, can I come to church with you? Absolutely, you can. So, so, so you went from like building this relationship yes. and holding back, yes, in talking about the gospel to yes. some degree, yes, to her essentially begging you to tell her. That's right, and then just following up, following up. That's right. That's right. And and we don't handle all situations the same way when it comes to hospitality and sharing the gospel and connecting to people. Um, one of the guys, in fact, the only one who became a believer at this game shop, the very first time we met him, we presented the gospel to him. The fir- I mean, the first five minutes, we get into a gospel conversation. And what he says is, I don't like Christianity. It's bigoted. See you later. Hmm. And he just disappears for six months. I mean, he'll like greet us and talk to us, but just doesn't want anything to do with us. And then one day, he forgets who we are, actually. He forgot that he met us. And we get reintroduced, except this time we don't slam him with the gospel in the first five minutes. This time we just talk a little more and mention the gospel in the last five minutes. And what do you know? No kidding. He's, he's a believer. And so, I mean, it, I, I think method and like when you present the gospel and this kind of stuff, it can it can shift and change and it has to be fluid. But the point is connecting your life and making sure the gospel is known, that, that you you are a follower of Christ. And whether you actually say, repent and believe, right now, or at Mardi Gras Parade six months later, uh, you've got to connect your life to them. And especially in the postmodern or even now post-postmodern world, that's what's valued. This this hit-and-run evangelism can work and has value. I mean, maybe hit-and-run sounds like it, I'm, I'm making it a pejorative, and I don't mean to. Like, I absolutely believe you have to be able to have... I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, I practice it like the man at the tube, mm. right? I didn't know how long I had with him, so I wanted to make sure I mentioned the gospel to him in the few minutes that I had. However, there's just something that's shifted in the culture that requires much more time, mm. much much uh, more intensity and intentionality in presenting the gospel. Mm. It, it feels less like you can... Like, you know, if you're a really skilled 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to put this. Like some people are just uh, good at it. Good at it and can walk up and get you just like that and not present that the gospel thing. and they uh, they can just harvest everything. But I'm not like that. I'm That's not, not like my that. skill set. <laughs> my skill set is building relationships and then making disciples. And I think God uses that. I hope I think, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's my career path. Uh, no, I think God uses that because he's the one that made us. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of natural for us to fall in line with the way he has made us to be. Right. Steve, I have one more question. Let's hear it. Um, a person who is thinking that God is calling them to IMB, what should they be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, first, I would say they should be reading their Bibles, uh, getting into the Word, studying the Word, analyzing the Word, uh, because we don't have a perfect theology yet. We don't have a perfect way to view God in the world. Uh, the Bible is is perfect, I think, but our interpretation, our understanding of it's broken, so we have to constantly be revisiting those things. And it's because I think you have to revisit those things that it adjusts your worldview and your thoughts and your thinking patterns. When you adjust your worldview and your thoughts and your thinking patterns to align with Scripture, then you're propelled into the world to reach the lost and the saved, and push everybody closer to God mm. through Jesus. Uh, so reading the Word, they should absolutely be praying. Um, a few years ago, I took a church position. And before then, I had never actually been a pastor. Uh, I'd been a youth pastor, a music minister. I'd, I'd served in some uh, other roles, but I'd never actually been the pastor. And so it was a weird transition because I had preached a number of times before, but I never had to preach on a weekly basis. Mm. And when I switched to preaching on a weekly basis, what I found was my prayer life shifted from being this kind of uh, icing on the cake. It was a luxury. It was nice to it being not just the cake, but sustenance itself. It was what I needed to survive. I would, I mean, I thought I had a million illustrations and ways to explain the text and communicate what's going on in the Word and to inspire people. And then a month later, I'm out of illustrations and ways to interpret the text. I'm just like running on empty. And I need something supernatural to push me and propel me and give me the ability to preach Mm. this Word weekly. And what I've noticed since then is that with this new understanding of leaning on prayer not as a luxury but as a necessity, it's changed the whole way that I see God and the world and interact with God. And I would encourage anybody listening to this as they seek, hey, maybe I want to be an IMB missionary or I want to work overseas and do missions, whatever they're looking to do to try to transition, if they were like me, their prayer life from a luxury icing on the cake. I do this at the end of my quiet time because I know I'm supposed to pray, but I really don't depend on it. It's just what I do to no, that, that needs to be at the core. Mm. I mean, that, that needs to be something that mm. you depend on, that you lean on. And if you're having str- if, you're, if you're having troubles or struggling to know what to pray, man, just go read the Psalms. Like, mm. Just pray the Psalms. And you know what? If you're mad at somebody, doggone it, go, go read it in There's some good Psalms, Psalms for that, yeah, too. Yeah, right. There's some real good Psalms for that, too. <laughs> All right? But just get – don't make prayer a luxury. Make it a necessity. It's right. got to be. Uh, and, then, and then finally, I would say – Test the waters, and I don't mean test God. I don't. I don't mean like lay out your fleece and see how it is in the morning if it's wet or dry. I, you know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I mean is like make some trips overseas, hmm. and uh, they don't even have to be mission trips. 
Move, go go on a trip overseas. Say, I'm not going to go do tourist stuff. I'm going to go live with the locals. Maybe contact a missionary and just go live life with them. See if you can survive. See if you can thrive over there. If mm. you, if you, because what what you what you'll see is when you go and visit, there will be this um, this wall. This like uh, what's what's the right this culture shock. Mm. This it's like a learning curve to living in the culture, and you'll be able to recognize. I think pretty soon if this is something that you might be able to do in the mm-hmm. long term. Amy and I have made, I mean, I'm up to like six international trips now. Mm. Amy's, I think, at six or seven. We love traveling internationally. But I know that I was not prepared 10 years ago when I went to Turkey to Mm. move overseas right then. Mm. Um, I I know now that I needed to mature. I needed to develop some more spiritual, Mm -hmm. uh, some, some disciplines and some see some of my gifts kind of bloom mm-hmm. before I could actually go and survive over there. Like, I I, I don't know. I, I can think of a number of, of illustrations to, to show this, but um, I, I guess first and foremost is like food. Ten years ago, I was way pickier. Now I'm a, it's like your, I think your taste buds change over time, right? I've heard this. Yeah, right, right. Like ten years ago, I would never eat a tomato. Now I'm moving to Italy. I mean, thinking about the irony there, right? <laughs> and so, like, even something so stupid and small as, like, what you want to eat or, sure. or if you can eat something. Now I just say, just put whatever you want in front of me and mm. I'll eat it. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 years ago, I mean, I, picking, I think so. that's probably pretty important because, like, if you're going to go into someone's home over there, which that's is right. essentially what you're going to do time after time after time. That's right. And you're like, eh, do you have any, like, American pizza? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not cool. Right, right. Uh, and I guess the last and final thing, and maybe this is because it's, uh, I'm, I'm biased, um, but I would encourage people to invite others into their home mm. and just be welcoming, have them over for dinner, for coffee, and don't just make it a two hours get in, get out dinner party. Rather, just invite them over with nothing on the on the schedule other than just to talk and connect your lives mm. and... Um, be intentional about having spiritual conversations and if if you know presenting the gospel if they're lost or talking about the gospel or making it known that you follow the gospel whatever it may be but just be intentional about connecting your lives and if you think that you can connect your life to people uh, and that's something that you're passionate about then i think that would be a, a good sign that you're prepared to move overseas thanks steve thanks for coming on the podcast yeah and um, look forward to uh, keeping up with you and finding out how the IMB journey goes. Yeah, great, great. All right, thanks, Steve. Thanks. Hey, it's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks. Thanks.